Hi, Poddleters. Welcome back to another very special episode of Adulting during this quarantine time. I hope you're all doing okay during lockdown and not feeling too stressed and that everyone in your family is doing okay. Today's episode is with the two wonderful women from Galdem Zine, Liv Little and Charlie Brinkhurst Cuff. I talked to them about their platform and their online magazine, which also in print too, I should say, which looks to platform the voices of those people that are so often marginalised by society, women of colour, queer people of colour, and tell stories from a point of view that doesn't always get shown in the mainstream media. It's an incredible feat. You should definitely check them out and you'll hear more about it in the podcast. But I speak to them about their book that's come out, which is a collection of people's stories from growing up as a person of colour and also about their podcast, which is now out. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. I really love speaking to Liv and Charlie. I thought they were so great, so inspiring. Um, and I hope you feel the same way. Okay, bye. Hello and welcome to Adulting. Today I am joined by Liv Little and Charlie Brinkhurst Cuff. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so for those people who might not know who you are and what you do, please could you give us a little introduction for about your work and where you're at right now with it? So um, yeah, I'm Liv. I am the founder and CEO of Galdem. And um, Galdem is a media company that is essentially committed to kind of sharing the perspectives of women and non-binary people of colour through different different formats. Um, and we work on kind of events, cultural partnerships, brand partnerships, producing in- um, editorial content and um, and a print magazine um, and I'm also a producer and a writer myself as well. Amazing and Charlie? Hi so yeah I'm Charlie Brinkhurst-Cuff. Um, I'm the head of editorial at Galdem and I've been around since the beginning so when it was founded in 2015. Um, essentially I oversee all the editorial content that goes up on site but I contribute sort of across across the platform Um Beyond that, I'm a journalist um, by profession, um, and I I edited a book a couple of years ago now um, called Mother Country: Real Stories of the Windrush Children. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my thing. Is that everything I do, Liv? I always forget. <laughs> you do loads of stuff. You do lots of stuff. That's like a that's like a nice summary. So I've actually followed Galdam, your, your Insta page for ages, and I love seeing it pop up in my feed. And you definitely target stories, which I feel we don't often see in the mainstream media and that maybe aren't given rise to be platformed. I think you're both like a similar age to me. Wh- when did you decide that, that you were going to really put your work to doing this and making sure that these voices and stories were heard? Did you feel like it was a big risk to take at the beginning? Um, what was your foundation for starting the work that you're in? Um, I don't necessarily think it, I viewed it as like a big risk in in the in the in the kind of early days, and that maybe that maybe that was like naivety. I don't know, but I think it was also because you know in the kind of early days in the foundations of Galdem, it was really about bringing a community together and less a focus on the business side. Um, and I think it was in the last kind of three years or so that that we kind of were viewing it as a as a as a business as a as a fully functioning kind of media platform because when it first started we were I was in my final year at university and I think Charlie was doing her master's maybe yeah (laughs) yeah something (laughs) yeah Um, 
Um, and so, and so, yeah, and we had, we had lots of other jobs and things that we were kind of balancing around it and it, and it, and it's grown quite, quite organically and then kind of ballooned into, I guess, um, you know, what it is today. But yeah, I guess in the, in the first days it was, it was, and it still is of course about community, but it was slightly more informal, I guess, in, in the, in the beginning. But yeah, I, I definitely didn't view it as a risk. Um, personally, it was, it was a natural progression in my very sort of nascent career at the time, um, just coming out of my undergrad, um, going into newsrooms and magazines um, where I sort of aspired to work and, and yeah, feeling like um, we well, seeing the problem in front of me and wanting to do something to change it. So yeah, when Gardam came along, it was like, hallelujah. Um, here is what well, in my eyes, I viewed it as a kind of like, you know, not not a fix but um something I could contribute to in like a really positive way and definitely I can imagine it probably would start off that community feel but you've got like a hundred thousand followers on Instagram and you've got you're really pushing out into different types of media you just had your book out and now you're turning to your podcast with the content where the where where it originated was it just telling stories and making sure that you know we were seeing a 360 on what was going on in the world did you have a a direction in mind of where where it was going to go because you cover a huge range of stories and like your magazine online has got lots of different topics from politics and culture and has that ex- expanded organically over time or did you have a view to know that you know this is this is what our vision is going to be and, and this is where we want to go and were you surprised to um it's so amazing to have amassed such a big audience was that something really exciting or was that always part of the goal in the in the very long-term view I think in terms of um types of content and I and I think this was this was very deliberate and and a reflection of the fact that often within kind of the media more broadly but you know specifically kind of when you're looking at at journalism is that as a person of color you're kind of expected to have a nar- narrow window of interest um in terms of you know the kind of stories that you might be commissioned to write and so i think we were always very deliberate in saying that you know we wanted we wanted to cover all topics just you know similarly to 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 lots of publications we wanted to to cover a breadth of topics of course this kind of scale and the scope of that has evolved over time um and has grown over time but i think it was a very deliberate thing to have stories writing and contributing and looking at topics across the board um yeah yeah and I think that as Galdem has grown um well firstly yeah the the growth that we experienced was all very organic even from the very beginning like we we were strategic and I think we were incredibly professional given the fact that we were doing it so informally um you know we were doing it in our spare time we were all students we were very young we didn't necessarily have that much experience in the media industry but we set up our platforms in a way which meant that people felt like they could engage with them in a way that they they held us to professional standards even when we um even when we weren't sort of professionals um so yeah but yeah sorry in terms of the the editorial side nowadays like we obviously have the ability to think a lot more strategically about what it is that we want the site to be doing and saying and yeah we've streamlined it into um a platform where we have a focus obviously on on pushing forward the most marginalised voices into the forefront and making sure that they're uplifted, publishing lots of op-eds, personal essays, alongside um, features which um, expand, you know, across the world, features that look at global issues as well as just in the UK. 
Um, but yeah, always remembering that our core mission is to uplift and platform the voices of women and non-binary people. So whilst your space evidently tackles this amazingly and it's it's such a beautiful thing that you created we we have lots of conversations around how we're becoming more woke and things are becoming more inclusive but it would look to me as a white middle class woman that the mainstream media still isn't really getting onto the tack of really trying to diversify the content that it's putting out and I, I think the change is coming but whether or not how do you view it do you I, I imagine that at the time of its inception this would have been something which you maybe really wanted to see it and couldn't find access to because as you say like mainstream media wasn't really there yet but even now in 2020 how far do you think we've come on the other side of it evidently your platform is still very much needed to to navigate these stories because I really don't think that they are being covered in the publications that we might see more broadly do you do you think that it's changed I mean I know it's not necessarily your place to comment at all I'm just interested to see where how you think it's evolving um in the other spaces I do think there has been some change that we've witnessed in the five years that Galdem has been running um but I think that yes the mainstream media is still a step behind uh where we would like them to be um there might be you know a slight increase in stories to do with like say afro hair like you would have never seen a, a story about afro hair on the BBC um, like in the way that they publish them nowadays. I think they even did like a little series on it. Um, yeah, five years ago when we started, I don't think. Um, but, you know, even with last year, uh, when it comes to more serious issues, there's just a real lack of interest in 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 women of colour and in, in non-binary people of colour. Um, we did a, a story on a young woman, um, a young black woman who went missing um, called Joy. Um, and her, this was at the same time that, um, Libby Squires had also gone missing. I don't know if you remember that story. So it's really, it's really weird talking without <laughs> hearing anyone else. Um, with Joy's story, we noticed the fact that the mainstream media, media wasn't picking up on, on, on it. They weren't reporting on it, um, in comparison to other stories of, of missing students. Um, and we had to make a big fuss and it was only when that happened that we saw again the BBC pick up the story um, Terry Wilson did like a long feature on it but um, yeah in short Galdem is still very needed because there are still very very important stories um, which aren't being told from our communities uh, and with coronavirus that's been shown into, thrown into even more sharp relief For sure. because as we know uh, BAME communities are, are being more being more affected by by it than other communities yeah so there's basically there's still a long way to go yeah totally and I think that can be evidenced by the fact that Lawrence Fox just had a huge piece saying this is going to be explosive whatever they called it um and they seem to be able to platform him and his views which are already widely represented amongst many people in the media and yet there are so many stories about systemic or institutionalized racism which just never get covered or never even acknowledged I think the, the first step that we've got to get past is the fact that we are as a society racist and people can't seem to get past that hurdle um, and until we get past that that there seems to be no room for discussion and so I do agree that you know your magazine is is heavily needed it's just a shame that because it, because there isn't that tr translation sometimes, the people who need to hear it and need to read about it aren't necessarily getting access to it. Do you think that there is more of a desire now for people to get a better understanding and to be more well-versed? There's been some incredible books, um, obviously like Renee Eddie Lodge's Why I'm No Longer Speaking to White People About Race, which I do think really 
elevated the conversation and and made other people kind of try to unlearn some of the things that we've been indoctrinated into believing. Um, but do you feel like there is the generation coming up now is really wanting to right some of the wrongs of our of our history? That seems like a massive question. Sorry. Um, I, I definitely think, you know, with, with a greater access to, to information and to like alternative sources of like news and media and stories that yes, of course, absolutely. I've, I've noticed that with, um, with, you know, the generation that's coming, that's coming behind us a hundred percent. I think there is, um, absolutely a desire to, to, to kind of right the wrongs. And that's on, that's on like, a, you know, a kind of broad range of topics, whether we're talking about climate change or absolutely. I think, I think that that's something that the next generation are passionate about for sure. Um, and I think I potentially wasn't as aware of certain issues. Um, when I was the age, for example, when I look at my sister who's 14 and is really like understanding a lot about reproductive rights and like things that I don't think at 14 I, I was necessarily super switched on, on, onto. And, and that's just what someone who was born 12 years after me. So yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think that they, they have a desire to, to, to know more. And, and I think just because by nature of growing up on the internet and in the way that they are potentially. Um, but I can't remember what the first part of the question was. Don't worry, I actually can't remember what I said either now. <laughs> um, but moving on, I guess, so you've, you started off with your platform and then you went into a print magazine and then your latest thing has been your book, um, I Will Not Be Erased. Is that That's right, isn't it? Yeah. I Will Not Be Erased. Our story about growing up as people of colour. Yes. So what... How how difficult was this for you to write? Did you feel like this is something that that really needed to be told? Because I mean, I've spoken about this with in lots of different angles, where it, whether it comes to sexuality and queerness or um, like different people being represented, we kind of have to do retro, retrospective representation in literature because all too often the stories that get published are by the same subset of people that have had the privilege of being of, of being published, and and so I I do. I can imagine how important this must have felt to be able to shine a light on the way that that living as a person of color and growing up in that sense would have been so different from what we're told as you know like default white living. Um, I wonder if you could expand on a bit more on, on the book and the stories that you tell in that. Yeah, I mean, I'll let I'll let Charlie kind of introduce it, but but in in some, I mean, we didn't write the whole book, by the way. We we were editing, but um, we've got we've each got a story in there. Um, Charlie kind of looking at dance um, and her relationship to dance um, as a young person growing up and how that didn't like quite pan out for her and the, the, the kind of reaction that she had to that around like how does her body type fit into this industry and that sort of thing and then mine was looking at m more looking at kind of sexuality and first crushes and, and falling in love with with um, with a girl and I think we've we tried to and, and I think we did a really good job of covering a, a real breadth of stories and of experience and of course you know this book could have been probably 50 times the size that it was um because you know there are so many important perspectives that that we don't necessarily um you know get get to get to hear from as young people and this is a it is a wide book it's something that everyone can enjoy and, and and people have been enjoying of every age but it is essentially um a YA book so it was about trying to to create something that that would speak to I guess the next generation in a way which wasn't condescending or or like you know you're doing this wrong 
Um, it was it was really about just being honest and and sharing and reflecting. But the premise was born out of um, some uh, was born out of Charlie and her kind of relationship to diaries. So I'll let her talk more about that. Hi. <laughs> um, so yeah, I um, I always sort of kept a diary while I was I was growing up, and um, it was something that was very very important to me as a space for reflection for bitching about my parents I actually never really wrote negative things about my friends but yeah and also just you know coming to terms with a lot of the things that, that happened to you as a, a young um black mixed race girl growing up in a very white environment um and I always I always hoped that, that, that I could do something with with the diaries when I was older it was always on my mind I remember and so yeah when we, when it came to the book we approached by the publisher who wanted to work on something with us and so we had a brainstorm we were thinking about this concept of writing letters to your younger self um and how you know a lot of our work at Gaudem um sort of revolved around the idea of of lifting up our younger selves lifting up the generation that that is is coming up now um but we we really wanted the letters the the things that we were writing to our younger selves to not feel patronizing or condescending in any way. So we thought a way to sort of, um, to make sure that didn't happen was by focusing on the words of our younger selves as well. So, you know, you often get anthology books that are letters to our younger self, but you don't often get to read the thoughts and feelings of that person's younger self, if that makes sense. And that's where the diaries sort of come into it. Um, but it's not just diaries in the book. Ultimately it's, uh, Liv, Liv used um, old Facebook messages. We have people who wrote poems to themselves. Um, and, and yeah, obviously, as I said, diary entries um, from sort of age range of about like 11 to, to 16 or 17, I think. Um, yeah, I think, we've, I think we've created something really special and it's not patronising, um, it's honest. Um, and, I, and I hope that the young people... Funny. <laughs> uh, do you, do, what were you saying, sorry? <laughs> I was, saying, I was saying it's also funny and cringeworthy and like awkward and just lots of feels basically. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and they really vary in, yeah, they vary in tone and um, and they vary in, in topic a lot, which I think is important for a book that is trying to encapsulate so much. I actually love that dichotomy of looking back at that really weird time in your youth, especially I think in your like early to late teens when you 100% think that you know what life is and everything's really dramatic and you're like really emotional and and I find that as you say it's a really interesting sounding board and tool to reflect on on what life is like now and that was kind of one of the reasons why I started this podcast because it was kind of about how when I started this it was like I just finished uni and I kind of thought I'd go move to London get my job and it would all be sorted and you know then I'd buy a house and it turned out that life was full of so many more complexities than you know getting these tick box things which I still haven't done any of the things that I imagined I would have done by 26. I think when I was 14, I thought I'd be married with a baby by now. And that is just something that I'm not trying to do anytime soon. And I think that reflection period can be so interesting. And I love the idea of taking from that and and looking back with compassion on yourself. Because sometimes I think we can feel a bit coolly towards our younger selves as well. And, and it can be an odd thing to explore. And so with your podcast that's coming out now, that's something which you're bringing forwards. You're getting people to I love that it's text messages and Facebook because I also didn't keep a diary because I did keep one diary years ago and my sisters found it and read it and I was so scarred. 
So I wouldn't have anything, but sometimes Facebook status will pop up and I can remember the day. It might just be like the smallest status, but I'll suddenly have like a whole memory of everything that had happened that day. Yeah. It's, amaz- it's amazing how that happens. Yeah, my God. Oh my God. The Facebook statuses don't even want to know. I'm like, I, can, I had to deactivate my Facebook all too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so on the topic of the podcast, we basically opened up the floor to people who we kind of know and love or whose work we admire and, and kind of walk them through the process that we went through. Um, so we, we invite each of our guests to kind of bring either like, a, like we said, a diary entry, text message, whatever it is, WhatsApp, notes on the phone. It could be anything. Um, and, and we asked them questions about how they felt at that time, how they how they like what, how they would reflect on it at that time. And I think it's not even just a case of, oh my God, look at me. I was so dramatic at that point. I personally was so dramatic at that point And I cringed like heavily reading back at my Facebook messages, but it's also like, there can be a, there can be a lot of wisdom there, you know, and, th- and, 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 and looking back on, on your youth, not necessarily with this idea of, oh my God, you didn't know anything at all. But sometimes I don't know when you're young and, and, maybe there is a degree of innocence or there's not, you know, there are, there are lessons that, that we can kind of reflect on, which I think has been really interesting as well. Some of it was, you know, we had, we had, we have one of our guests on there, Sasha, who's talking about how from a really young age, she identified the fact that it was really important for her to have therapy and to speak to someone. And that's so kind of, you know, something that we, we would associate with being so grown up, but she knew that she had to use her words and, and, and get them out in order to, 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 to heal. So I think it's, it's just fascinating. It's it's so moving, so heartwarming, and 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 such an interesting concept that brings about so many different topics um, throughout the throughout the episodes that we've that we've got. Charlie, did you have anything to to add to that bit? Sorry. Um, yeah, just I no, just to re- reiterate it. Really, um, yeah, it was a it was a really special experience, kind of bringing the book to life in a way. Um, we've done readings of the book before, but um, we've never done it in more like an interview setting and being able to yeah to to create a safe space within this tiny little recording studio where um where our guests were generous generous enough to share some of their really vulnerable moments with us um will stay with me for a very long time and I just I really hope everyone enjoys it um and is able to connect with it in the same way that we were what things have you throughout writing and compiling the book and interviewing people is there anything that's really been thrown up to you that contrast with maybe what you thought it meant to be a grown-up do you feel I'm sure you'll be the same as me but I have some days where I feel like you know what I kind of know what's going on I feel pretty settled and other days I completely go back and regress to being my inner child and feeling quite insecure about the world and anxious and that that kind of undulating feeling was something which I wasn't expecting I really thought you know you'd get to 16 18 21 these ages supposed to have so much significance and kind of start to feel settled but I feel like we're constantly growing whether that's through learning or unlearning or you know rehashing old mistakes and having to learn from them again is there any kind of big thing that that you're learning through this work or through the things that you do Mm. that are making you question like what does it mean to be an adult yeah I mean I think the 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 piece that stands out for me in relation to that is probably um Kemi Alamori's piece in the book uh where she's talking about her relationship with her mum um and she also wrote something um about that relationship with her her mum and her parents during lockdown quite recently and I think a lot of us who have had to go home perhaps to our parents houses are feeling that sense of like regression (laughs) basically where you have to sort of 
relay the boundaries around your relationships now you're an adult and like be like okay mom you can't just barge into my room but um yeah in in the book Kem writes about just like how um her relationship with her mum has evolved from her you know at some points like what's the, the thing that she does again live she flicks she, she flicks ink hey, on her yeah. on her mum's shirt or something like truly hor- horrific <laughs> It just evil yeah, kid behavior. I think she calls her like a fathead in in this diary entry that she's yeah. she's sharing with the reader, um, and then it 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 come it kind of brings us up to present day. And her um, she's asked her mum to send her the diary entry um, or to send her her diary, and she has to sort of face up to the fact that you know um, her mum probably read <laughs> these entries of her. Uh, talking about her quite negatively and yeah for me just for me personally it it made me think a lot about my relationship with my parents and um the ways in which I need to be more conscious of the fact that um I want to be like respectful um towards them in my in my supposed adulthood even if I have that deep urge in me at points to um to return to being a child when I'm around them if you get what I mean I don't know if that makes sense but um yeah I guess the same question to you Liv about like what kind of things you're learning about like what it means to be an adult and what kind of lessons because you feel like you're going to know everything by the time I'm like 21 and then I feel like every single day that I uncover another massive load of stuff that I've got to learn I mean every day I feel like especially right now I mean there are so there are so many lessons and things um to learn gosh yeah, I don't know. And even even just doing the kind of work that we're doing, I feel like every day. I don't know, Charlie, if that's how you feel. But I feel like I'm yeah. I'm I'm, const- I'm constantly having to reflect and like yeah. I was just going to say I think that we um we by the very nature of what we do if we weren't open to continuous learning that that Galden would kind of um disintegrate very quickly. Um we pride ourselves mm. in 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 yeah, in always being open to to learn about new people new cultures etc yeah I guess it's our job like I always say this but it's uh, my job definitely our job to kind of just to just stay curious and to stay yeah to stay curious and 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 like Charlie says to to keep learning about things and to be open to new ways of thinking and new ways of doing things and I think the whole that our whole business model and, and the work that we're doing it's not something that has been done before so that's kind of more you know, it, it, it rings, it rings so true. Um, we kind of, and, and, and considering the fact that we're, the mission that we have is quite large (laughs) in the sense that we're trying to shake up and transform an entire industry. It's like, there is no specific rule book on how to do that. So yeah, it's a lot of learning and a lot of adapting and figuring things out. And I think especially now adapting even, even further. Um, but it's exciting and it, and it keeps us going. So yeah <laughs> there's so many things I want to comment on there especially one of the things you said Charlie about our parents I think it's so interesting that when you realize that they were in individuals and sort of adults with their own agency before they were parents and that kind of gives you a whole new le- le- lesson in humility when it comes to like how you actually act around your parents because they go from being like your caregiver to suddenly I realized that like my mum was in her 20s once and was going out and living her life and you get this whole new like feeling of respect for them and and I think uh, I ended up doing like a lot of apologizing for being such a oh dick my God, when I was a teenager. Same. I was like the worst um, 14 year old in the actual 
my god amazing human being and yeah I think that that is such an interesting lesson in itself that thing of like your parents are humans and like they're not just your parents and they have lives and they've had experiences and I think it wasn't until I was quite relatively old that I sat down and spoke to my mum about like the fact that she'd worked like within film like and and she shared all these resources and all of these things that were like very much not like we're the same person at all but it's like we were going through similar things and like periods of transformation at a similar time like she shared all these amazing books on like black women in film and all this kind of stuff and it's like rah like okay cool my mum is not just mum she's Michelle she, she has a whole thing going on um we yeah. we love Michelle Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh. Aw. And we love Jackie and Paulie. We both got twin mums, me and Charlie. So, yeah, um, we both got identical twin mums and and kind of grew up very close. Charlie literally in the same That's house. That's a whole as other them. thing. That's a whole other. That's thing. a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. But it is so true. I actually sat down with my mum for one of the first episodes of this podcast and did like baby boomer versus millennial, and I'd never asked her just questions about her life, and we spoke for hours. And I was like, oh my god, she's never offered up this information because she was like busy being my mum. And when I actually sat down, I was like, shit, you're actually really interesting. <laughs> and I felt so bad. Um. But something else that I want to talk about. So you're, you're right. You're completely pioneering. You're, you're steering like a new ship in the in the world of media, and you're really uncovering these stories. And when I first came to understand what feminism was, um, it it it's one of those things, as you say, it's a never ending journey of searching for answers to questions and you have to be very ready to discard views that you thought you understood, language that you might have used. There's a constant reiteration of changing the way you think about things. And I can imagine, as you say, because you cover such a broad variety of topics and speak to people from so many different uh, backgrounds with ideologies and cultures and religions. And it must be really overwhelming because what you're doing is activism. How how do you balance that with your, do you have a good like work-life balance or is it because it's such a passion project that you kind of let it seep into no, everything? I, I can say quite firmly that we don't have a good work-life balance. Darling, stop it. Oh, come on, come on. Uh, as in, no, I'm, I'm joking, I am joking, but, 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 um, no, but no, I think I mean, historic, historically, <laughs> Liv and I have, have struggled to, um, to, um, to turn off from, from work and I think it's only been in like recent years months <laughs> that yeah. we've tried to be more strict, strict with ourselves about yeah. um about what's life balance for sure it's so important like honestly I think and you know what, the reason why it was so hard like in the beginning obviously it's hard like running a business is just like the craziest thing but in terms of like at the beginning we were juggling like jobs and you know and just life stuff relationships but also you work full-time but then you also have this other thing which is basically full-time but it's not full-time yet because it's not paying you yet so like naturally <laughs> um something something has to give and 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 in a lot of those early moments it was you know our kind of well-being our mental health I think since we kind of went full-time and, and had like a, a full-time team and, and whatnot it's been like very much a kind of conscious effort of ours to 
be disciplined with ourselves and to set boundaries. And I think especially now, you know, that, you know, the we're, we're physically working in our homes as well. It's like even more important that we, that we are relatively strict with ourselves. And I've seen like Charlie getting better at it. Like I, I, I joke and I laugh and I say, oh my God, you're the worst. But like, but it's, it's a learning, um, it's a learning curve and it's a learning process and, and, and it's hard and, and like journalism and the news, like a, it's like a 24 seven thing as well. Right. So, so it's not, it's not easy. And I think also when something is so tied up in your identity and you care about it so deeply, it's, it's like, it's even more likely that, you know, that these things are going to happen. But also had we not, I, I, and I don't want to glamorize it because, you know, I was kind of having chronic migraines and losing hair and Charlie was like developing all these weird twitches and her RSI was really bad um, at a point. I don't want to glamorize it at all, but I'm also like slightly aware of the fact that some of the, the sacrifices that we made were beneficial in kind of getting us to the to the place that we are now so that we can establish more of a a work life thing I'm not, and again like I want to stress that I'm not saying that people should kill themselves yeah. for work <laughs> also I just want to clarify that the weird twitches live reference uh was merely an eye twitch not, not anything else it is so difficult though with, with things like this you're so right because it's like sometimes you do have to do that stuff but it's so I kind of hate hustle culture and this um love of productivity and the one thing I'm actually quite enjoying about lockdown and quarantine is it's forcing people what well, I know we kind of said at the beginning that you, you can fill that time if you're that way inclined but I think it is making us realize that I mean capitalism sucks we know that anyway but the productivity and the way that we want to like shoot every hour into something that's really worthwhile it seems so antithetical to what our bodies and our brains are designed to do and are you finding that lockdown is kind of throwing up new emotions around work and productivity that is it changing your mindset or did you know that anyway and you're now just feeling like yeah I was right that's the way we live is a bit fucked actually um I think I think it for me anyway personally it's been like a process of wind down and I know that where I am today is very different to like a year ago so I'm I'm really happy with that but I think one thing that it has taught me to 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 do or to just or I've had to do really is just just be like extra gentle and, and kind of kind with myself and, and, and acknowledge how my body is feeling in a way that maybe I wouldn't otherwise, because we have a lot of not time, but you know, we're, you know, we're not, we're not running out and around after work for events and every night and dinners and lunches and meetings and all of that kind of stuff. Yes. I, I have slight zoom, zoom meeting call fatigue, but um, yeah, I think, I think I've been forced to just really, to just really listen. There are some things that still have to get done, but, um, but, but where I can just, just figuring out a balance and also kind of just acknowledging that I guess all of our work styles are going to be slightly different during this time. Um, and so, you know, you might need an extra five minute, break here or that like oh you know you've you've got to kind of figure out figure out what works um I think I think for me that the one benefit um to this like horrible situation and I obviously say this with the codicil that um and I, well, I guess I just want to acknowledge the fact that I know that we are so privileged to be in the position we are as as um people in within the media still mm. having our jobs um like my mum my works in healthcare as does Liv's auntie um and yeah it's like it's very real um for a lot of people who um are being exposed to coronavirus but yeah anyway I think for me I, I I guess one of the things I have liked is feeling like 
I have a bit more control over my days because nothing can pull me away to distract me, if that makes sense, um, in the same way that it can when you're living life outside of lockdown. Um, mm. But apart from that, um, yeah, it's been it's been tough. And like, yeah, you, the, you know, we were talking about, about boundaries before, but yeah, you have to be even strict with yourself to not work through your lunch break, to not keep working when when the end of your working day ends. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Yeah, I, and I think it will us a lot about the ways that we can and and can work kind of moving forward. So I'm hoping that there yeah. is some slight, obviously, like again with the codicil that this is a horrific situation, but hopefully there will be some kind of positive imprint or or you know thought for for companies and whatever in terms of how how it is that that we can work and and adapting a little bit more like I, I saw like Emma Gannon posting about her her book um and how people kind of said this is absolutely ridiculous and this could never work and this way of flexible working is like not a thing that could ever happen and and mm. now it's kind of forcing people to to look a little bit look and think a little bit um differently so yeah yeah, it's certainly one of those times of like cognitive dissonance. Cause my my dad's a doctor, my sister's a doctor as well. So that I've got like two people in my immediate family who are like kind of out and working on, on the front lines. And then when I speak to them, obviously, as I imagine when you speak to your family members or healthcare workers, it suddenly feels so frightening, so immediate and like you can't escape it. And then on the other hand, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, this is lovely. I love this. Like, because there's, there's something so nice about not feeling that pressure of those cogs turning. And I do think that it's, it just highlights our ability to exist in like two truths at the same time. And um, I think that that's something which you must see in the media and in your work all the time, especially, I guess, when you're trying to push through a story or push through a narrative. And I mean, we see it a lot with climate change and veganism and all these kind of things, which we know to be so, so important. And yet there's some part of our brain which is able to override that and and tap into to something else um, and with that in mind like you're saying you know the media is evergreen it's ever present it's rolling 24 hours and all the time and and have you found have you ever felt doubtful have you ever found have you had a lot of criticism have you had like you've obviously worked so hard in order to get your voice heard but I can imagine there's still some of those old-fashioned barriers which sometimes can be really hard to permeate how how do you battle against knowing what you want to be doing and then I guess sometimes just feeling utterly fatigued I wouldn't necessarily say like I don't know for me personally anyway Charlie um that like the kind of core pushback or criticism has been like necessarily super vocal you know kind of call outs or that kind of thing I think that the things that become frustrating for me is in maybe like more of the like day-to-day conversations or or things which are unsaid or like subtle things which are said or you know kind of lack of understanding or lack of desire to change or like kind of pretense that there's a desire to change which then as 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 we work kind of you know it becomes apparent that actually that's not what they want it's like it's like a tokenistic kind of thing um but for the most part we've been very fortunate in a sense that you know we have had a lot of support we've had a lot of support from you know the guardian and 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 like kind of mainstream press as well like we've had support and ampl- amplification in that way quite quite organically which has been which has been great but of course where you know this it's often it's the things that you know often the things that you can't see like knowing that 
as a as a black queer black woman founded business you know it's it's we have a 0.01% chance of getting you know the kind of venture capital funding or whatever it's like it's bad for women but when you look at you know women of color it's even worse it's it's it's, it's those things which are not necessarily necessarily things necessarily things which are said um uh, on an ongoing basic basis but they're things that you're aware that you're consistently pushing up against um but like if we weren't fueled by a desire to ch- to change things or or we didn't have the kind of resolve or the or the i guess foresight or you know idea that that this is absolutely possible then it would make those barriers um feel kind of crippling because they are everywhere but also like i say not necessarily always super visible does that make sense i don't know if that makes sense that makes complete sense to me those like insidious systemic things which you know kind of impact so i love um invisible women by caroline criado perez which often talks about in relation to women in, in general about how there's so many glass ceilings that we have to break and that you might not even know exists because they just feel so so normal um obviously we're talking now about like big scale change and going forwards but one thing I want to talk about because I think it's kind of in line with what the podcast is talking about is whether we as humans like I I believe we've got the capability to change and grow and I think that we have to believe in being able to change and grow otherwise we'll never be able to do anything better and this seems completely at odds with the cancel culture situation that, that we're living through at the minute um and like re- right now at the minute there's a lot of talk about influencers who've said things um which are like a color colorist colorist is colorist a term it's like colorism um and that th- but they have tweets from like years and years ago i'm not gonna ask you to comment on that exact thing but what what what's your view on people's ability to change if we've done something wrong in the past i don't i personally have read so many think pieces about cancel culture and i have lots of opinions on it but when we talk about growing up i think we have to be able to move past think, what, what's your view on that it's a complicated one <laughs> I was just going to say that, um, yeah, in relation to uh, what we're seeing on the timeline right now, um, horrific uh, colorists, yeah, and anti-black comments surfacing from um, the early 2020, 2010s, but also tracking up until nowadays in the 2020s. Um, I think you've got to accept that for some people, your apologies and your claims that you have unlearned the behaviours you um, projected into social media spaces will never be enough, and that it is totally their choice if they have been seriously hurt by your actions as to whether or not they want to accept your apology. Um, I do believe that people can change, um, but that change has to be, if you are a person in a public space, I think that change has to be visible and it has to you it has to be presented as being ongoing um and yeah that's my take on it (laughs) yeah I think I think that I think that there's like I think that there are so many like layers like in terms of um cancel culture and I think that I think that holding people to account uh, is really important in a lot of ways I think you know we know that that's so important and integral to, to the journalism that that we produce um, I think that it is so important when we're looking at kind of government bodies and um, corporations um, to be able to have like a space in a in a public forum. I think that there are issues with cancel culture in general. Um, I think 
that whole thing can become toxic. And and that's not for me to say that if you've got a horrible view or if you're racist that you shouldn't be cancelled. I don't think that at all. But I think that there needs to be, yeah, an understanding and a degree of I've seen it happen to 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 all sorts of people who maybe said something which was like not great when they were thirteen or something, and it's like, well, we can safely assume that that person has grown up since they were thirteen and 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 like we can kind of there's evidence of that because we see you know in like Charlie says in the public forum the the work that they've been doing for the last say five or six or seven or eight years and and that shouldn't be negated by by something that was said a long time ago I think I think that I think that yeah I think it's I think it's quite a nuanced thing and like I guess in my mind it's kind of like a case-by-case assessment but I think that it's dangerous to fall into a trap on social media of like that being the way that we that we communicate um and yeah yeah it can be very toxic it can be very toxic and I think for me if there's someone who is in like in my kind of network or community or like one of my peers who I who I feel like oh that was a bit strange like I I, being the person that I am and like fine that's not everybody's cup of tea but I would be more inclined to like send them a text or like drop them a message and 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 see what's going on if it seems like out of character or I don't know whatever it is but I I think it it depends obviously on what it is that's been said but but I think for me like sometimes spaces like Twitter can like prevent meaningful conversation and connections and it becomes like a this performative thing of like I'm morally superior to you and and yeah I don't find that like helpful yeah I think the saying goes isn't it like the the only true apology is changed behavior which I think is what you're saying which I completely agree with and sometimes there does have to be a lot of space between that initial actions and a forgiveness because as Charlie said, you know, you, yeah. we can't expect yeah. forgiveness from everyone if, we, if we've done something wrong. Um, and I agree about social media. I think it really throws up this polarization, like this anger. And sometimes I find it really like suffocating. Like you say, there's no nuance and there's no room for people to explore ideas. Is this something you come up against in your work where sometimes you find it quite hard to put forward a case that maybe does, is a bit grey and, you know, you don't have a direct line for it. You just are trying to open up a debate. I find it sometimes where people want a concise message that's got no definitive rules by it. And life isn't like that, but social media wants us to be on the left, on the right, on the, you know, do you know what I mean? I, I, is that something you come across in your work where you wish there was a bit more space for people to explore an idea without necessarily having a conclusion I, Im- I'm immediately? I'm probably like not the best person to ask because I'm my social media, whatever, or, or the people that are around me. I kind of, I, 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 we have space and, and dialogue and, and like, and there, there feels like there is room to, to explore. And to be honest, I probably don't take all of those conversations or questions like to the internet, for example. I might just have those conversations with my peers and we might talk about stuff and we might figure things out together in that way. Um, but yeah, that's probably because I've got, I don't know, a very like well curated or whatever set of set of people around me. And I'm also not also not someone who's like super active on on like things like Twitter anyway. But Chaz, I don't know for you. Like, do you do you ever find that there are topics that you want to explore? And like, I guess like social media doesn't necessarily provide a space for nuance or discussion. Like, have you ever come up against anything where it's been like just shut down or I don't know? What, where 
where I've said something stupid on Twitter. And no, no, not the <laughs> thing stupid on Twitter. <laughs> that like, you're an idea. And it wasn't like... Oh, um, and, and it didn't feel like a sort of safe space to do so. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so happy we have Galdem, because I can say all my unformed opinions to you guys instead of putting them out on social media. Um, I'm very careful with how I use Twitter these days. I was a lot more bullshit on it back in the day. Yeah, um, you were, actually. And Proper. Yeah. Well, I don't think I... I you know, I don't think I ever fed into... Um, the, the sort of deep toxicity no, that we no, see on you, you were toxic. Nowadays. You just tweet. <laughs> you just did a lot more. But I just, <laughs> yeah. Which which naturally means that you you end up tweeting about you know the trending topics of the day, and which can lead to, lead to more um, antagonistic conversations. But but yeah, I mean, I I think yeah, I speak I speak to if I yeah if I want to discuss something that I don't think is fully formed, and I don't think Twitter is a safe space to do that um, really at all. Yeah, um, then yeah, I'll, just, I'll speak to the Gaudem, speak to my dad, yeah. speak to my partner. And I think it's important that we have those spaces where we can like have those discussions because I don't know, there were just so many layers to it. There were just so many layers to these conversations which like are in, influenced by like gender, class, like race, like so many different things. And so I, yeah, I think it's important that, you know, especially as like people of colour, like we, we like, we hold space and we have space to explore conversations sometimes difficult conversations you know and 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 theorize together I think it's it's really healthy I think spending your time tweeting half-assed theories is on Twitter is not necessarily a productive use of of time or like a the best use of time I don't know I yeah I completely agree you've got to have those safe spaces and those friendships with which you can kind of say something which you know is might come out not perfectly but then you've got the room to kind of tussle with it and figure out what it means to you and what it it means more widely the one thing I do come across with my work and I'm sure you'll have this is lots of usually women because predominantly my audience are women will reach out to me and be like they don't have necessarily that circle of friends or they don't have that trusted community that they can look to for resources or for these conversations and obviously Galdam your book and your podcast are going to be amazing spaces for people to look to but as a final question I wanted to ask you for me and I think you you're saying the same thing you know the most important thing in life is kind of well not the most important thing but a really important part of growing up is to carry on learning and to be open what resources um, alongside Galdem would you suggest to people who maybe don't feel like they've got those safe spaces within their immediate community to to explore ideas? Um, or what things have you found really crucial to your learning and, and growing alongside the resources that you produce, of course? Um, I mean, there are so many, honestly. Like, I, I feel so fortunate to be surrounded by people who I've been able to really yeah just find spaces where I feel accepted and where I'm able to explore certain parts of my identity I think like there are amazing like specific groups which are like centered around um uplifting and like bringing together a community of like queer people of color for example so um for me you know p- platforms like babes and pussy palace and 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 things like that have, were really kind of crucial to me when I was like coming into myself and figuring out um, what it was that I loved and who I loved and all of those kind of um, big, big questions. And then there are, of course, kind of like e- other editorial um, platforms. You know, we've got like our friends at Amalia who like do amazing work. Um, we've got, you know, there's Black Ballad again, like capturing the experiences of black women and girls. Um, we're, 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 yeah, we're fortunate that 
or I like I say again, this is probably people people that we have in our in our in our circles. But it's been really amazing to 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 have access to these groups and like resources and like words and projects and creative ideas by groups that you see yourself um reflected in um and i guess yeah some of those is designed specifically to hold space for for example queer people of color and then you know in editorially platforms like um yeah there are platforms like black ballad and amalia but Chaz, i don't know what you want to add um yeah just to add that like i guess like kind of riffing off this a little bit i think that if we're if we're thinking about um audiences like beyond um Gautam's core audience and how they can sort of learn a bit more about race um and and gender issues um you know as I said like my profession is is journalism and that essentially means often means being quite good at researching um and I use just all the tools I have available to me and I think that it can become quite frustrating for um women and non-binary people of color feeling like the onus is on them to educate people when the resources are already out there. Um, and, you know, we're, we, we've we had to find them for ourselves and, and make use of them ourselves, um, you know, throughout our whole lives as well. Because, you know, as, as you point out, um, we're not taught a lot of this stuff in school. Um, so, yeah, the, it, it is out there. Um, if you start sort of curating your social media a little bit more to to make sure you follow um, commentators and things from backgrounds that aren't your own. Um, if you follow platforms like Gaudem, like Black Ballad in the US, like Wear Your Voice magazine. Um, but yeah, also just just stay curious. And like, if you don't understand something before you comment on it, put your research in, like you would with any topic that you truly care about. Mm. Have a little Google, use reliable platforms like The Guardian and the BBC and and in, in other spaces and Galdem, obviously <laughs> yeah I do I know what you mean I, and I, I completely feel that and we sh- we do have to have that research element and I, I get the same thing sometimes when people ask you questions and it, it is really important that we're assertive and believe in ourselves to be able to accrue information because sometimes it does take a bit of like dissonation to decide like do I want to take that bit of information and and so yeah I think you, you raise a really important point there um so I just wanted to ask is there anything else that you wanted to draw attention to that you're working on I know it's a bit of a weird time so maybe apart from the podcast on your platform at the minute with no events or anything but is there anything you wanted to highlight or point us to have a look yeah, at so as well as growing up with Galdem our new podcast we've also launched a membership model um which we had been planning for the last kind of year and, and we had our kind of campaign lined out and 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 all of our comms lined out and of course this happened and it, and it and so it became even more um pressing that we that we continue to push forward with the membership model so there are three tiers and people get perks from like top tier kind of merchandise, print issues, access to events um, across the year, access to like a broadcast only WhatsApp group where we share opportunities, jobs, events, cool things like a really well curated kind of Galdem approved set of stuff to, to try. Um, and and yeah, so you, so you can and you can also pay it forward so you can buy membership for yourself and, and, and another one that we'll we'll kind of offer up to someone in our community who who needs one um but can't necessarily um afford it or or whatever um and so yeah memberships is like is a huge thing for us where it's been incredible considering what is going on that we've we've got almost 500 people who have signed up to become members already um we're about halfway to our target now but yeah that's um that's that's the that's the kind of like big thing that is really important and i think 
now more than ever, it's important for people who are able to be to back independent businesses, to back independent journalism, because our voices are needed more now than ever before. We're needed to kind of hold people to account and to provide a space for the voices who are being most impacted by what's happening with COVID, but who who are who are having the kind of least representation. So memberships are kind of crucial to to the future sustainability of of Galdem. So if you want to see us continue, become a member. <laughs> Did you have anything to add to that, Charlie? I think that's nailed it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a really good pitch. I'm signing up as soon as we log off. Um, well, then, oh, thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a great conversation. Um, and, oh, no, it's been fab. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, make sure you follow Galdem on Instagram and have a look at their work they're doing and subscribe, of course. And I will see you next week. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.